0: Marco read the Old Testament reading from Isaiah just a moment ago, and it talked about the future, uh, written 2,700 or so years ago, talked about the future, talked about the Messiah, the coming of of the Lord, talked about God's promise uh, to come in a powerful way. And we see much of that Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 35, we see much of it fulfilled in our gospel reading today with John the Baptist, and I'd like to read through that now, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. When John, who was in prison And as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Last week, uh, Pastor Tim was in here, and we saw John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, last week's text, was preaching a message of repentance. Things are going well. This week, however, we see John the Baptist in prison, and he's wondering about Jesus. He's wondering about himself. In many ways, he's questioning his entire existence. And then Jesus reminds him all of the things that are happening, all the prophecies being fulfilled. And then his disciples over here, Jesus, disciples of John over here, Jesus talking so highly of John. I'm sure that got back. That's another sermon for another day. But the interesting thing is I think that what we saw about John last week and what we see about John this week, it's an accurate, accurate picture, actually, of this time of the year for many of us. Because for some people, this time of the year, it's the best, and everything is great, and everything is going well. Like John the Baptist last week, he's on the top of his preaching game, right? For some of us, it's like John the Baptist this week. Some of us, this time of the year is the worst time of the year. Doubts and questions arise. So some of you, it's in between. For some of you, it's both. It changes from week to week or moment to moment. Our New Testament Bible reading, actually from James today, I believe, speaks into that. So grace, mercy, and peace to you. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. As I was thinking about these scriptures, the Old Testament, the gospel, our epistle lesson from James, I was thinking about these scriptures, thinking about all the Christians throughout the world that are, are looking at these scriptures today, and it got me thinking about this time of year, and it got me thinking about family. Got me thinking about what does that word family mean to each of us, and what does it represent to each of us, and does it bring about good or bad or indifferent sort of feelings? Because I know for many people around this time of the year, there's going to be a lot of family time. Over the next few weeks, there's going to be a lot of family time. Some of it is good. Some of it is bad. Some of it kind of just is what it is. But I sort of was reminded uh, this past week about sometimes the bad part of family. Someone was talking to me about a family situation they're having and the tension that exists in their family with the siblings. And I have to admit, as I was listening, I was observing some sibling rivalry in the words that I was hearing. Sibling rivalry. Uh, Anybody ever experienced sibling rivalry before out there? I mean, if you have siblings, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're only a child, maybe. If you have kids more than one, you know what sibling rivalry is about. It exists out there, right? Sibling rivalry. And it revolves a lot around identity, Sibling rivalry is sort of a competition, animosity, a struggle, a tension between siblings, whether they're blood-related or not. Because siblings, they generally spend more time with each other than actually even with their parents. The bond is intense and often complicated, influenced by all sorts of factors, parental factors, parental treatment, birth order, uh, outside forces, personality types. But we know that sibling rivalry exists. I mean, we go back in the Bible, we see it long ago. You go back to the book of Genesis, you can see some pretty good examples of sibling rivalry, right? Story of Cain and Abel. One brother's jealous of the other and God's affection to him ends up ultimately in murder. Esau was jealous of his brothers Jacob's inheritance and blessing, which Jacob had earned deceitfully. Leah and Rachel, they're competing for the love of Jacob. Joseph's brothers are so jealous, they effectively sell him into slavery. I mean, that's pretty intense sibling rivalry it has been around for a long time. But it's not just with siblings. It can exist in family of all sorts of relationships and relationships that aren't even family. You might call it relationship rivalry. It happens. Now, usually siblings, they kind of grow out of it, right? And they can become some of the best of friends later on in life. But sometimes... One of the siblings is just kind of so self-centered, narcissistic, competitive, that the rivalry endures forever, right? And sometimes the relationship ends because of it. Have you ever seen that sort of sibling rivalry before? Maybe some of you have experienced it in your own life. Uh, I hope you're on the good side of that. Uh, But sibling rivalry exists. And uh, sometimes you'll get a sibling that has kind of a messiah complex, you know? They think that they're the best, they think that they're really good, and they're, they're very righteous, and they're great, and they're best, they're, they do the best in everything, and you're just kind of frustrated at that. It's annoying and frustrating, and you're always comparing to them, which is kind of interesting if you look at today's text from James today. This is the epistle of James. Does anybody know who James is? Now, James, there's some debate about who wrote the epistle of James, but James, most people agree, is the brother of Jesus. Jesus. He seems to be the oldest of the, of the siblings of Jesus after Jesus. Because most people think that James was the younger half-brother of Jesus. So, meaning, uh, after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had some kids, right? Now, some people think, well, it was from a different marriage that Joseph had before Mary and the stepbrothers. Either way, Jesus had some siblings, half or step or something like that. And you know what? There was definitely... Some sibling rivalry going on with Jesus and his siblings. In fact, in the Gospel of John, his brothers were kind of like, oh yeah, you think you're the Messiah? Well, why don't you go down to the big city, Jerusalem, and show your stuff, right? John chapter 7, verse 5, it says why they do that. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. Mark says that his family, his, his, his mother and brothers, they went out looking for Jesus with this Messiah complex that he has, When he was doing all this stuff, Mark 3, 21 says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. They're talking about Jesus this way, right? A few chapters later, we see James actually listed, right? People are kind of wondering about Jesus. Like, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of who? The brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus fact, when Jesus died on the cross the only family that seems to be mentioned there is his mother Mary siblings weren't there I'd venture to say there was some big time sibling rivalry going on with Jesus and his siblings and probably most definitely with his brother James who was the eldest of the other siblings but then we get to this epistle called James written by Jesus brother James And look at how James, years later, describes his brother. I mean, think about this. James chapter 1, verse 1. It's it's the epistle. He's saying, this is from James, a servant of God and of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings, he says. So James is calling his brother Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, Lord. He's equating him with God. And he's saying, I'm a servant of my older brother, Jesus pretty powerful. James chapter 2, verse 1, he's uh, writing to the people. He's saying, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He's saying, my brother Jesus is glorious. My brother Jesus is the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah. And he also calls the recipients of the letter. I love it. He calls them brothers and sisters, siblings. What happened? How do we account for the change? What happened with James? He went from sibling rivalry to believing in his brother as Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus, and it lists specifically uh, those to whom Jesus appeared. It lists all these groups, but it only lists three individuals by name, and one of them is James 15 verse 7. It says, then Jesus, he appeared to James after he rose from the grave. What was that like? I mean, it was intentional that it's pointed out in Scripture. So they had to have some sort of conversation. I mean, could you see James there? Hey, Jesus, man, we thought you were crazy. We thought you were mad. We thought you were out of your mind. We thought you had this Messiah complex. Oh, wait, you are the Messiah. That's the only time when, when uh, it's okay to have a Messiah complex, if you are actually the Messiah. Other times, it doesn't work, my friends, all right? But what was James saying, you know? You're alive. You really are the Messiah. Mom was right about you. I'm so sorry, brother. I'm so sorry I didn't believe in you. I'm so sorry that I fought against you. What was the encounter like? What was the conversation like? We don't know for sure, but I can imagine. I can imagine that it was full of compassion, mercy, unity, patience, forgiveness, and love flowing from Jesus to his brother, James. But I don't think it was just that. I think Jesus said to James, I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your help to spread the word. Because you see, James, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And we know that eventually from church history that he died for his faith. He was killed because of his faith in his brother Jesus, his glorious Lord, his Savior, his Messiah. His brother Jesus died for him. And he died for his brother Jesus, his brother Jesus' mission of compassion and mercy for all people. It looks like they got beyond their sibling rivalry, right? They got beyond that for sure. And so when we hear James speak to us right now, in the midst of Advent, in the midst of waiting for Christmas, yearning for Jesus Whether we're like John the Baptist of last week, where everything is awesome, or whether we're like John the Baptist of this week, where everything isn't so awesome, and maybe we're doubting our own identity, even who Jesus is, James' words speak to every one of us today and calls us back to our identity as family, as brothers and sisters, as siblings who've outgrown sibling rivalry. Together, we're waiting for our big brother and our Lord Jesus to come again. Because when our big brother comes again, he will completely once and for all complete everything he started when he was born 2,000 years ago. He will completely fulfill every prophecy of Isaiah. And so as I read James' letter here, these verses in a moment, what can you learn from him? Maybe as you move forward into Christmas and to this new year, maybe God is calling you to be like James because life is good for you right now and you're going to be a presence of encouragement to all those brothers and sisters around you. Or maybe God is calling you to heed the words of James into your life, into the midst of whatever suffering or bad thing that you're going through. And so as we wait this Advent, I love what James says. Chapter 5, verse 7. James says, be patient. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. So he's calling them family, right? He's calling them siblings. He's calling them brothers and sisters. And he's saying, be patient. The Lord, my brother Jesus, he's coming back for sure. But until then, we're going to wait. We're going to wait with patience. Kind of like all the patience that Jesus had with me when I called him crazy and out of his mind. James says that your patience and your waiting should be like the farmer. Like the farmer farmer knows the beautiful rain is coming. It's coming no matter what. He knows the rain is coming. But the farmer's not just sitting around waiting for the rain. Farmers are attending to the fields. They're attending for the plots. They're getting things ready for the, for the rain to come. While you wait patiently. I think that speaks to us today. We've got work to do, work to do here and now on the fields while we wait for Jesus to come again. James reiterates that point in verse 8. He says, you too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, sisters, siblings, family, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James reminds us, his brothers and sisters, to not grumble against each other, not to participate in sibling rivalry. He knows it firsthand. He saw what it could do. He's also teaching us that if something's going wrong in our life, don't take it out on those that are closest to you. You see, the recipients of the the letter, of James' letter, it seems like they were suffering at the hands of someone oppressing them in some sort of way. And I realize that sometimes we do this, right? Sometimes we are wronged by people in our life, and there's no way that we can retaliate against us, and what do we do? We take it out on those that are closest to us. We take it out on our family. James is saying, let's not do that. We've grown beyond that. We've got beyond that sibling rivalry. And then he continues on. He reminds us our identity and family again. James chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke In the name of the Lord, as you know, we count as blessed those prophets, those ones who have persevered. James says the prophets, they waited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. They suffered because of the word. They suffered because of the message that they were given to the people. They spoke the word even though it was tough. And we call them blessed. James says you are blessed when you do the same. And then he gives us another example of patience, verse 11b. He says, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. And this is the big center. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job suffered a ton. Job lost everything. But in the end, the Lord was compassionate and merciful, and he gave everything back to Job. That's our story, too, in the end. When our big brother comes back, everything that's lost will be found. Everything that's evil will be undone. All sibling rivalry will be eradicated. All relationship rivalry will be gone with God and with each other. But until that time that he comes again, we're patient and we wait not just for Christmas presents, not just for great Christmas Eve services, not just for Jesus to be born, but we wait and we yearn for him to come again. We long for him to come again. But as we wait and yearn and long, we do it patiently like the farmer, and we get to work, just like James did. We wait like the prophets, and we hold to God's word, even when everyone else says that we're wrong, just like James did. We wait like Job in the midst of suffering, knowing that at the end God will restore all things like he did for James, the brother of Jesus, who died for his brother who died for him. They're in paradise now, brothers, family. So I'm not sure how your holiday plans are looking or what it's going to look like when it comes to family. I hope that sibling rivalry isn't on the rise in your home. But if it is, Think of James. Think of his brother, Jesus. Think of his words. Be patient, brothers and sisters. We're family. And our brother, Jesus, is full of compassion and mercy for all. In Jesus' name, amen.